Sonic States. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 26, coming to you on Thursday, the 14th of December. Just one more before Christmas, and then we're going to take a couple of weeks off. Um, so who have we got this week? We've got uh, Dave Spears from G Media Music. Hi, Dave. Hello. Uh, John Musgrave, uh, producer, engineer, programmer, journalist. Hi there. Uh, Mark Tinley. Bonjour. I've been learning French by podcast. Have you? How's that been yeah. going? Well, uh, obviously, quite well, actually. Obviously very well. Yes. Well, you can try us out later. Um, and also, um, welcome non-Eric once again. Um, thanks for coming back to us. Hello. In Berlin. Yes. How are you doing, Dave? Are you, you well? No, I'm having a bit of fun, actually. Oh, that's good to hear. I found some... Um, ages and ages ago, I bought the Black Sabbath sound effects for the Mellotron. So I'm chopping them up and we're going to end up dishing those out. Really? What? So they're tapes from the actual Sabbath themselves? Yeah. They obviously uh, decided to take the stuff out on the road, you know, and like we did, uh, Roxy Music did the same, you know, took the master tapes and then kind of recorded it across the Tron notes. So if you want to hear a bit of, yeah, I'll check this out for a laugh. There's a bit there. Oh, what's that? What was that? A bit of... Um... Sort of guitar chordy. Iomi, Tony Iomi, isn't that his name? I love all these mad effects. Oh, superb. Like Nuts, eh? Buy me. Have you got anything from Iron Man? I don't know. <laughs> do, you know do you know what? I'm so not familiar with any Sabbath stuff. Oh, where did you spend your youth, Dave? Well, I've always been First Believe record it. ever bought was a Black Sabbath album. Really? Yeah. <laughs> You're like this. I was um, 21 before I heard Stairway to Heaven. I hated all the all the girls who played all the kind of Led Zepp stuff. And uh, on my 21st birthday, my mates, I was kind of really pleased that I avoided even hearing anything. You know, like as soon as the first sort of intro started, that was it. I was out of the room at any kind of party or gathering. Anyway, on my twenty-first, the bastards locked me in a room and played it. To forced, me. forced hearing. <laughs> so, did you feel you'd come of age after you'd heard it fully through for the first time? No, I dropped them all as friends. Oh. <laughs> I think Black Sabbath was actually the first record I bought. I don't know whether it was just really cheap vinyl, but when you held it up to the light, it was actually purple, and you could see through it. And I was convinced it was worth a fortune, and it probably probably is. Did it have satanic messages? Well, I don't know. I couldn't see anything to to that effect. But uh, it was the one with the wizard on. I think it was Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath. I think we'll look forward to that. When's that coming out then? When's the Sabbath tapes coming out? I don't know. Well, I've got a whole... I've got tons through from that mad German guy, you know, Klaus, the mad Mellotron lunatic. So I've just literally... I've, about 20 minutes ago, I've finished cutting this stuff up. So if anyone makes a sort of dodgy comment today, I'm going to do this. Oh, that is from Black nice. Sabbath, Black Sabbath. That is the, that's the wizard's bell, I think. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I All feel honoured. SonicState.com Let's have a look at the list. We've got a few things here. Um, one of the things that did look kind of fun was that, did anyone see these flash vintage drum machines that Joseph, Joseph Rivers from the uh, um, Synth Museum has, has been building over the years? It, it seems like an extraordinary labour of love. Essentially what they are are sort of flash representations of a number of drum machines from the sort of 60s, 70s and, and, on, and, and various other obscure ones that he's ba- built in Flash with various sound samples and to varying degrees the controls work. 
and it's um it's remarkable actually i kind of quite enjoyed it because you know you obviously some of them just sound absolutely dreadful and i don't know why i even bothered but some of them are quite interesting <laughs> uh, anyone have any um, have any comments anyone found anything that they yeah. uh, any uncover any gems well i played um, with the dmx the Oberheim, which we used in the late 80s. And I remember that it was real pain trying to get the machine to sync with tape because it had the sync tone that you would play and record on your on your 8-track machine. And then you replay the sync tone, but you, I, I think you had to really start exactly from the beginning. And it only worked in like 5 out of 50 times. Oh. That's that's a pretty important drum machine, that Oberheim, because um, Bill Laswell used that a lot. And it's on, um, I think it's on Herbie Hancock's Rocket. I know it's on World Destruction, John Lydon and Africa Van Barter. Various other hip-hop as well. well. And it's New a cool-sounding drum machine, really cool-sounding. I didn't actually get to listen to that, because there are, I mean, there are, I don't know how many there are here. There must be at least... Over 35 drum machines here. Actually, one of the things I would have liked is if they'd actually, you could sync them. So you could use them. You know, if you could just do, you know, so write some little flash applet that would take a MIDI input, then, you know, he'd have a hit on his hands there. I, I actually owned half of these as well as I go through the list. The first drum machine I ever had was a DR55. Yeah. And I used to work everything out on graph paper because it was a 16-step thing. So I used to kind of put crosses where I wanted the um, triggers to be, and then I'd have to program it all in. But I used to actually write bass lines like that as well. I used to program a bass drum with all the crosses on the um, on the graph paper, then program it in, and then play it on a bass guitar to see if I'd put the beats in the right place all right and then i used to hand these completely complex and bizarre pieces of paper to this guy in the studio i worked in and he used to go what what is this and i'd go well that's an f sharp on that beat there please and invariably it actually came out sounding like it was supposed to so um you know good good learning tool yeah i i never really got into step programming i kind of was always more into the sort of playing yeah. and, and looping kind of guy dave you, you must you... be familiar with some of these as well yeah, got got a few of these. Still got a few of these, funnily enough. I've got the 55 uh, and the little cool mini pops. Brilliant. <laughs> um, and the kit, that pad thing. Did you have the clap as well? Uh, Only one. Simmons <laughs> clap. Yeah. <laughs> no, the kit, that kit thing had an, another bit that went with it called the oh, clap. Yeah, yeah, the add on. And it was like a big silver disc that you hit and it made that kind of, you know. I'm sure I saw a few Top of the Pops performances with those kind of things with trailing leads. Did you hit it with a special ostentatious wand? I was in a band with my brother Adam and my job was to hit things with ostentatious wands. Um, I was the sort of, I did all the backing tapes. And a guy called Johnny Slut, who used to be in Specimen, was one of the singers, and Adam was the other singer. And I used to stand with this box of samplers and weird things and hit all these pads with sticks and stuff. And he's got a few missing, I suppose, from his site. There was a really cool one called a Boss PC2 percussion module and an HC2 hand clap. I've seen the HC2 hand clap. And then he's got an electro harmonics... um, e-drum here but electro harmonics also made this really weird sampler with a guitar lead input and output like quarter inch jack so while adam and johnny were singing i used to plug everything through this thing and sample them in real time while they were singing and then play bits of what they were singing back and turn this knob brand and hit this pad with a stick and you know re-trigger all bits of vocal and stuff so there's, cool, there's a great course. lot of uh, technologies john any 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 hit any ones in there that brought the brought memories back for you 
I was impressed just by the. I mean, he must have put so much effort into all these because the visuals are amazing on them, aren't they? Yeah, they're not that's bad, where, are where they? The effort, well, that's where the effort's gone, isn't it? Yeah. But I did. I did actually actually look at the bottom of the list. There's the Bee Gees rhythm machine again. We were looking at that last. Oh week, yeah, we? yeah. We should. Ch- I didn't get that far. That, I was kind of. That really sounds terrible. But better well, than the uh, David Cassidy one. We'd just like to point. Oh, I've not heard the day. <laughs> oh, I've just seen. I missed this one. There's a Mintel, uh, Mattel Synsonics on here as well. I've got a circuit bent one of those. I, I the one thing I really liked. I like the Electro Harmonic DRM16. Um, yes. which actually sounded really good, I thought. I mean, and some of the some of the patterns were quite good. I mean, it had a that that was the one that that kind of struck me from a just purely sonic point of view, worth worth maybe searching out and sampling because it did have some good sounds. But do you think drum machines generally have kind of had their day? Because I mean, I know some people, you know, just say, well, they're short hits, so you can sample them. Don't think that they had their days because I think the MPC series it's a great revival, and there's a couple of. Most American producers that do hip hop and stuff like that, they they program their whole stuff in the MPC because they love the groove. And I I did uh, all of my trance uh, records um, for that reason. Everything was programmed. All the drums was programmed on the MPC 3000, but also all the MIDI because the MIDI timing was considerably better uh, using uh, one of the four individual MIDI outputs than using a computer. Yeah, sure, separate bus. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But I mean, I still I, got the machine. Ah, oh, right. Still okay. sitting here, yeah. I, I mean, I was talking to a couple of people because we've been doing these interviews for our Top Twenty Synth um, program, and uh, one chap was talking. He's more of a songwriter, and he was just sort of saying the drum machine. You know, now even though you know he's got a sample and he's got all these kits and stuff, and it just he can't just kind of switch it on and have a beat and start songwriting to it. He's got to kind of he gets all kind of bogged down in trying to make the drum sound real, and you know, whereas if he just kind of pressed a button and turned the tempo till it felt right, he could kind of churn out a lot more songs. I think I think one of the good things about looking at a bunch of old drum machines is that you get all the patterns that come with them as well, and all that programming that was put into them. And it's nice if you if you're trying to pick up a sound from a particular era, it's really good to have that sound with the patterns as the unit was meant to be in the first place. There's this great Mega Drums um, sample CD that I that I bought a couple. Of, yeah, that's a great one. It's got also got a couple of uh, even some of the old patterns. As samples on the CD-ROM, it's great. It was originally Akai format, wasn't it? But it's basically every drum machine. Yeah, it's well, not every drum list. machine, but a good proportion of them. You know, just sort of the, the ones that are kind of you know fairly current at the moment. Uh, There's some brilliant snares and what have yeah, you. Yeah, I, I, I still use them regularly. I think. Do, do you guys that's... remember the Simmons drums? God, yeah, yeah, I've still got one. <laughs> I'm looking at really? it. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! It's, the SDS five, man. You can yeah. that bass drum. You can literally blow holes in walls with that. It's true. We used them uh, live, actually, uh, because I was a good friend of the PPG uh, distributor here in Germany, who also handled Simmons for Germany, and we used to borrow them for our performances. And I remember that the big bass PA speakers, the cabinets, would the, the back wall would come off when you hit the bass drum. Wow. Yeah. It would go like... <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, fun- absolutely right. Funnily enough, I was just um, doing some tech work for a friend of mine who's making an album um, for a, a sort of well-known Bristol band, and they had some uh, Simmons pads set up. So uh, maybe we'll be, maybe they're coming back. Uh, the one that I really remember was the what was the SDX? That thing that looked like something out of Alien. It was like some kind of space tetra pack thing that had a big handle. Do you remember that, Dave? Did you ever have one of those? They were very expensive, and it was the sampling one. It was SDX. Yeah, I used um. I used Bruford's one a lot. Um, 
mega technology for the time, but sadly hideously unreliable. Yeah, he's loading got, off a he's flopper. Got he's got a fantastic story about um, he was asked to do the demo at Frankfurt on the launch, and they held it in some kind of greenhouse place, like sort of Kew Gardens. And, of course, the heat just went up and up and up, and in the end, I think he ended up just having one pad working. Oh, no. I mean, you could multi-sample the thing. I mean, it had, I think it had nine velocity layers, nine zones. It was massive. But I, I did like the marketing stuff when it first came out because I had the SDS-5 and then I moved on to the SDS-7, which had the kind of sampling facility. And then uh, the SDX was way out of my league. But the they were very expensive, plant they? was the acoustic drum is dead. <laughs> which is usually a prelude to bankruptcy. In yes, experience. and it was, actually. <laughs> it was, in fact, because I think the SDX was the last thing they did, wasn't it? Mm. What's that bloody great big orange thing that Phil Collins used to use, a drum computer? Movement, isn't it? Yeah, well, funny know, enough, I, I just saw it in his cage in Music Bank. Yeah, he was, uh, he was also a Simmons user. He kind of got into it slightly later. But, uh, no, I was down in his studio once. In fact, my favourite drum machine ever is the CR78. And uh, I've, got the Gen- I've got one of the Genesis ones. Ooh. My, my favourite drum machine ever was a Bentley Rhythm Ace. And I lent it to my friend Daryl, who um, had an argument with his girlfriend and threw it at her. Um, oh, dear. She was downstairs, he was upstairs. It suffered death on his stairs. So well, when least... I asked him for it back, he was uh, slightly embarrassed and she told me he'd broken it, so... Well, at least it didn't suffer death on her and cause her any unfortunate injury. But because uh, they're quite chunky, weren't they? Sort of tabletop ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was made out of really heavy wood, like mahogany or something. Good lord! But that's a sort Ooh. of bib- was that a sort of bibble bobble drum machine? One of those? Yeah, it was like the CR seventy eight, almost yeah. identical actually. But it was, um, you know, went with the Bentley big Bentley organ, I guess. I suppose so. Yeah. Oh, drum machines, oh, eh? Well, maybe but we shouldn't. There's one thing, one classic we shouldn't should not uh, forget to mention is the TR-808. Sure. <laughs> I agree. I mean, okay, I, well, well, then when we're on those, what about 909s? Oh, Mark, well, you, Mark, oh, yeah, sorry Mark about that. was the 909 king and probably still is. Are you, Mark, I seem to remember you were, didn't you base your early career on the ability to make 909s do things? Yeah, I did. And um, Adam also, my brother, used a 909 and it was kind of him that made the bloody price of the damn things go up, I think. <laughs> Because well, he used it on top of the pops. He had that SQ80 on the bottom and the and the TR909 on top. And that kind of keyboard and drum machine on an X-frame keyboard stand with a number plate, if I remember right. And that was that the, uh, the, the killer, the seal thing? Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. I drilled loads of holes in his 909 and made it so he'd got loads of mute buttons on it. And that 909 got stolen. So if anybody has um, got 909 with a load of strange holes in the top panel... Um, it belongs to Adam, actually. So give it back. <laughs> it's probably worth a fortune. I mean, because they were they they went up, up and up and up, didn't they? They were. I mean, I don't know what they were new. Anyone remember? I bought one new for one hundred and sixty nine pounds on um, in the bargain basement bin at Soho Soundhouse. You know, like when yeah. things come to end of life, they go down in price, don't they? Yeah. So I, mine was one hundred and sixty nine pounds. Wow. Uh, well. You uh, could have sold it the for... recommended retail, I think, was nine ninety nine, which is about what they go for on eBay. Yeah, now. still, still go about a thousand pounds, which is what getting on for two thousand yeah. dollars. Did you did you find um, that there were differences between nine oh nines? Because this 
uh, you know, the Underworld guys, he, he's got kind of one magic 909, and the kick drum is just unbelievable. Yeah, they are, because they're analogue, and the components start to break down as well. Mm. And I think we had this discussion about Jupiter 8s. Nick yeah. Rhodes' Jupiter 8s all sound different. Well, he's got three now, I think, and they all and the same patches in them just sound completely different. And it's because they sort of, I don't know, I mean, the components in there maybe aren't top quality or something, and they break down over time. So, I mean, who um, knows where they've been if they've been in a sort of damp, moist basement Well, that's for a not going to help, is it? No, exactly. One of them runs off 115 or, you know, US voltage. Is that 115 or 120? 110. Is it? Okay, well... That's Close enough. Why it sounds different. Then. <laughs> yeah, he's running it with the wrong voltage. Yeah, I might do it. But yeah, same, all of... same goes for 808s. They have all of them really sound a lot different. And yeah. um, and the, uh, what I found really interesting was that um, when Trevor Horn did the programming for ABC, uh, I read that he actually used the 808 um, to trigger uh, the, the mini. Simmons drum kits, the Simmons yeah, drum kits, yeah, and the Simmons. mini. So sort of mm. kind of using it as a very, very tight sort of drum computer. Yeah, no, that's a great so, article. If anyone, uh, over on Sound on Sound, there's an article about Trevor Horn, and he just talks about his early technology days, doesn't he, and how he kind of kind of used the kind of the, the 808 to trigger the Mini and sort of do that kind of very tight sequence sort of sound, and it was kind of became his trademark, I guess, and he kind of just got loads and loads of work as a programmer before he became a, a producer. Yeah, the 909's got a built-in MIDI sequencer in it, which is in it's in a sort of a hidden bank behind it. So all of those 16 pads will play back the lowest octave and a bit of a of a MIDI keyboard. So oh, you really? can put samples on all of the different 16 pads, and you can use it like 909-style programming to program samples in, say, an S900. And then it's also got um, a rim out, which will trigger off other stuff. And then it's got a, a CV gate. Uh, it's got a gate trigger from the rim shot as well. So I used to use it to do all my sequencing. Wow. Yeah. Well, he hasn't got one here, I'd noticed. But I suppose, you know, everybody knows what that sounds like, whereas some of these other ones are obscure. But uh, if you want to, you want to head over to keyboardmuseum.com and um, have a look at the vintage drum machines because they're obviously a sort of – it's like a life's, life's work, isn't it? Or, you know, certainly – Quite a lot of work. Well, drum machines are an endlessly fascinating subject, um, and we've all used them, but I don't suppose we use them anymore. No. No. <laughs> well, there you go. I was looking at uh, this MI Pro, actually. It's a, it's a kind of news, industry news mag in, uh, in the UK, um, which I think they kind of went away for a little while and came back, and I just thought I'd go and have a look and check them out. And uh, they had some, a couple of interesting stories on there. One of them was... Uh, that um, the, there was a recent Chinese music show, which was in Shanghai between the October the 18th to 21st this month. But, I mean, it, apparently it was quite a hit. I mean, they had 971 suppliers from 24 different countries, five halls, uh, and, uh, and God knows how many visitors. I imagine the visitors weren't, you know, weren't up to kind of maybe Nam. But does anyone um, relish the thought of going to China, putting that on the circuit? I mean, it would be an interesting trip. I've never been. I think it'd be an interesting place to go, I have to say. Apparently, uh, Richard Evans, who was on last week, he was saying, because he's been to China to, do, to, to work on um, various projects, and he said um, that what, the best thing to do is actually, if you've got a Chinese contact, to get them to book the ticket, because you get a much better deal on a price on, on, your, on your flight. 
if you look on the back of all of your equipment, how much of it is actually made in China? I mean, I don't know if anyone saw that um, that blog. I found a blog from uh, this guy called Bunny Studios. I'm not sure of his name, but he he he'd been to uh, to Shanghai or been to China um, as part of a sort of manufacturing reconnoitre trip, and he made some very interesting observations about it. I don't know um, if anyone had a chance to read that. Oh, I, I read through that. I read through most of it, and it it looked. I mean, the, the thing about wages was quite interesting. Mm. And um, I thought it was interesting that he said that everybody in the factory seemed to be treated fairly well, but he also wondered whether or not um, there would be factories that foreigners weren't supposed to visit, which may not be quite so good. But, mm. Yeah, I mean, because I, I think we're, you know, we sort of cynically think that, you know, all the factories are just kind of they're small children and very old people sort of being paid next to nothing and treated like slaves, but... He was saying that the factories he saw, which obviously would be sort of showcase ones, because of there's such a massive demand for labour that, you know, the workers are actually being able to kind of get a few more benefits, you know, so they get um, health care, they get um, accommodation, they get various sort of other other perks, which which kind of bring it more into line and, and that mm. that it's actually working out. You know, they don't get huge amounts of money, but they get a lot more fringe benefits and they get treated more fairly. But I thought the other I thing mean, that's interesting is, I mean, a lot of manufacturers over here have been, um, companies over here have been manufacturing in China for a few years now. But I suppose the interesting thing will be when we get companies, brands developing in China and them, them exporting to to the West. And so you think the design and the innovation and the technology side is still flowing into the country, it's not actually developing internally? I think they just copy stuff because um, I mean, I've been into monkey bikes for a number of years and I started off with Hondas and then I bought a Chinese one by a company called Jin Cheng and it was um, I think it was about 1200 quid this monkey bike and then uh, over the past sort of five years more and more different bikes have been coming out which are virtually identical so it's like Jin Cheng uh, copied from Honda, and I think a license to copy from Honda, but lots of other Chinese manufacturers just simply copied the Jin Cheng bike and made cheaper and cheaper copies. But it gets to the point where European companies go over there and say, right, I want you to make one of these, but I want you to make it for 100 quid. So these right. bikes are now £250 on eBay for a road legal wow. Honda, uh, Honda copy. The quality of them is appalling. Do you think it's a cultural thing? I mean, because I mean, the, I mean, from what I understand of Japanese culture, you know, it's it's not cool to sort of stand out. It's it, it's a sort of it's, it's actually kind of much better to be to fit in with everybody. So if you're going to be innovating in any way within that sort of culture, I mean, doesn't that mean you're going to be a bit of a maverick? And that's kind of not really the place to be within society. It's a strange one. I mean, one of our one of the programmers we use. Um, spends quite a lot of time in Beijing, and he said that it, whilst the pollution's a bit of a nightmare, what he loves about it is the energy that's there. And he said it's, you know, it's, it's got a real kind of young, fresh, energetic vibe about the whole place. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, every time he comes back to Europe, he says it, it, it seems kind of slow by comparison. So I think if you've got that kind of frenetic pace, there's always going to be the sort of maverick guys coming out sooner or later. I mean, this whole subject is, is enormous, and... Um... Do you think that maybe I think also do you remember I mean when um Russia the Russian Federation sort of became more of a capitalist uh, situation we ha we started to get these mics and synthesizers I mean there must be things that China make for their own purposes to a high standard that we're just not aware of yet and we'll start seeing whatever they are come through If you if you want to find out about that stuff there's a really bizarre website called alibaba.com 
and you can go there and you type in what you're looking for, like, I don't know, a dog toy or something, and it will throw back all the Chinese manufacturers who are making dog toys, and you can go and look at all sort of all these different products, and it is really fascinating. It's well worth a look. It was one of those lovely moments in the studio where the part just suddenly clicked and everyone was dancing around. Sonic stage. So you can hear there how the two parts don't conflict. There are a huge number of samples on that record. We double-tracked the drums, so there was a second drum track on there. The beginnings of affordable digital recording. Sonic State. If what you're writing is just explaining some kind of like facet of the software, then it's like the piece of music that's been written is more explaining the machine than it is like your personality. Right, that was a trailer for our Going Solo series where we talk to various producers about the tips and tricks and whatever they use in the, the studio. Current week is uh, episode seven. That's Michael Oster. Yeah, that is fantastic listening. It's ever so interesting. And if anybody's um, not listening to the other podcasts that you're putting out, then I really suggest that they go and listen to that. It's brilliant. Really, really interesting. Dave, you found this one. Logic for Less. Somebody's, we found a trader on eBay who's selling Apple uh, Logic Pro 7.0 Two, universal binary version, you know, the full kind of legit version for ridiculously discounted prices. You found that, Dave, didn't you? Uh, yeah. And in fact, I mean, obviously the first speculation was dodgy copies, dodgy copies, but um, a couple of people I know ordered from it and they are completely legit copies. I don't know how they're doing it, but uh, it's all very legit. Um, I remember in the old days um, when Steinberg was uh, selling their 24s, the, uh, there was a couple of dealers in the UK that just directly imported from Holland and sold it really cheap because there was traditionally always this big gap in price between the European market and the UK market. I'm, I'm not sure whether it still is the case because I, I'm, I'm looking at the price here and it's not that dramatically lower than maybe a German discount price. Oh, maybe, I see. Uh, Do you think they're maybe, just taking maybe, advantage of the strength of the pound? Somewhere, yeah. I mean, it's it's still a, a very low price, but maybe not as radically low compared to the prices in Germany. How much is it in Germany in euros? I think uh, around seven to eight hundred euro. Is this a nine, US? Is, it, is this a, is this maybe these are coming from the US? Is that no? Because it's nine hundred ninety nine dollars in the US, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so but that that's... would still be five hundred pounds. Well, these are about what three five nine. Three yeah. five nine. I wonder whether they were educational copies, but they don't seem to be. I did actually con- um, e- contact Apple about this and say, oh, have you seen this? Mm. And all I got was a, oh, no, and no explanation. Um, so uh, obviously it's a major pain in the um, in the rear for them. Traditionally, Apple are fairly kind of good at, or, well, either good or bad, depending on which way you look at it, at standardizing their prices across, you know, territories. Yeah, and standardizing their software in the sense that they don't do NFRs, they don't do... Pre-release copies. I just it all comes bundled and that's it. Yeah, they sent they sent me a copy of OS Ten when it first came out. I asked for a review copy, and uh, they said, "Yeah, sure, here you go." And I um, I reviewed it, and they said, "Can we have it back now, please?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose it doesn't happen to Apple very often, but somebody's uh, somebody's sourced a bunch of cheap copies of Logic. So if you, I suppose I shouldn't I shouldn't say go and get it, but I mean it seems to be legit. So. We're looking at the auction. He's still got twenty-three copies left. So, any uh, anybody of uh, any of you guys heard any rumors about uh, Apple uh, Logic Eight yet? 
No, I haven't. <laughs> Plenty of rumours, none of them substantiated. Oh, go on, <laughs> because, do tell, do tell. Yeah, totally rewritten, right, from scratch. That's what I heard. Oh, really? Why? Yeah, well, I think that the programs kind of sort of uh, come to its natural limits because uh, I think it's very bulky and I think there's still some code from the Atari in there. Wow. <laughs> because when you, look at the f when you look at the mixer, it's really strange that it's still, after all these years, the fader resolution is only 8-bit uh, or 7-bit. Going from zero to one hundred twenty-seven. Yeah, that's and when you do the and when you do the panning, one side is minus sixty-four, the other is plus sixty-three. I mean, that's that that's not really that pro, is it? <laughs> is that not is that not so you can just use a MIDI controller to control it though? Yeah, but still, I mean, when you when you actually save the mix or do anything, it's a very very crude resolution. When you move the fader, yeah, you can do some dithering, but you actually there's only 128 positions to store and to move yeah. to. And I'll find it, at, when I'm mixing, and I'm right at the end of the scale of the fader, sometimes it's uh, not enough resolution. For yeah, example, for a, a very... slow fade, yeah, definitely yeah. not not really yeah. up to the mark. And also there are other things like, you know, it would be great to be able to, to, to group things properly. So, you know, I've got a bunch of files here, like a drum multitrack, grouped up properly, phase coherent, and I want to stretch them all linked wise together because any if i want to do that i have to leave logic and go somewhere else because i can't do it within logic and it's just mm. crazy really because it's one of the kind of fundamentals uh, certainly these days of yeah. audio production to be able to move to work fluidly in the time domain and when you look at what things like cakewalk sonar um are doing and, and cubase i mean that there's certainly sonar stuff i mean i don't know if anyone saw the demo that we shot at uh, at the recent summer nam uh, so no, it was the AES. Sorry, um, uh, it was it was astonishing. You know, they've really got the time domain stuff like completely. No, I mean it's quite complex, but it, the stuff it can do is amazing. I've been using Sonar recently. Actually, it is it is pretty good the new version, and it's got the, it's got a rad, it uses the radius um, time stretcher as well, which is which means the multi track stretching mm. is pretty good. Yeah, and that's really bad in Logic as well. The built in one. Yeah, well, it always has been, hasn't it? The real time one's not that bad though, is it? In logic, because you know you can put four bar loops in now, and you can and you can tell them to follow tempo. Yeah, but don't so you, you have to actually, Apple loop them? No, not anymore. You just record and you tell it this section of audio. So you can record a four bars of guitar, yeah, and then you can highlight the chunk after you've chopped it into an exact four bar length. And then on the left hand side in the informations, there's a um, where you switch the loop on with a, a little tick right. above that, there's a little box that says follow tempo. And if you tick yeah. that as well, and then you write a whole load of tempo changes in there, um, Logic will follow all your tempo changes, which is kind of cool. As long as, as long as you've recorded it in Logic, that's the thing. You have to record the actual audio in Logic. Ah, okay. And is that actually um, only for, is there a four-bar limitation, or is it, can it go longer? Uh, I think I've done 16 bars, yeah. I mean, I've, I was, I've been playing around with that because I want to do something with lots of tempo changes. So. That is, I never, no, I'd never seen that. I'll have to, have to investigate. So. It appeared in the last version or the latest version, 7.2 okay. something. Do you think they're waiting for the next operating system for Logic 8? Is that what it's all about? Would that make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, as I was, I can't remember where I found this, but um, I think I was looking at Dig or something, and uh, it turned up as a, as a kind of you've got to check this out. It's an amazing table, and what it is is this company called DB Fletcher have uh, built 
these space-saving devices. But what they are, they, they kind of look like um, sort of alien transform- transformers, don't they? They're kind of a circle, and you all get spin round, and they open out in this weird fan-like fashion. And and they're they're they're, they're custom built. I mean, I'm sure they're incredibly expensive. They go in boats and places where where space is of an issue. And um, it says that uh, there is a British designer, which is good to know. And um, his unique designs benefit from Britain's strong tradition of fine furniture, but their versatility allows us to reimagine the past with new elegance, they say. Some of our our designs take their inspiration from very ancient features, but feature technology and modern materials not often seen. And there's a demo video of um, this bloke basically unfolding one of their tables. Anyone care to describe it? (laughs) He's having fun, Uh isn't he? Yeah, it's it's uh, like um, somehow they get a small circle to expand into a large circle by um, having a star in the middle, which makes the circle bigger. The mechanism under, underneath it must be very, uh, very precisely um, worked out. Um, it's, I just think it's brilliant because I used to live on a boat, and the one problem that you have on a boat is space always, and anything like that would would have been worth about forty times what my boat boat was worth. But um, yeah, it's worth looking at definitely. Um, and um, you know, I suppose as as appreciators of technology and fine gizmos, we can uh, we can appreciate it here as as quite an impressive demonstration of engineering in a furniture. I just thought it was brilliant. I thought it was a fantastic piece of engineering. It really was. Although I really would like to go there and, you know, when you see the sort of star emerge from the middle of the table going, nah, yeah, like Mark said, could you make it a pentangle, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just to see what kind of reaction you get. Um, yeah, no, it does look good. Uh, so you should check that out, definitely. com. We had a news item where um, one of the directors of this company um, left to execute a much more financially lucrative business idea, which was making um, in, in the adult goods department. And he's actually manufactured this thing. And uh, it's from a place called Love Honey. And they made this thing called an iBuzz, which is sort of, you know, punnery on the iPod. But it's a, um, it's a, it's a device for pleasuring oneself internally, we say. And it's going to get sued. Well, Apple I sp- is suing these guys. That's what I just read two days ago. Oh, something. you think so? Think no, he's going to really? get sued. Well, this thing is basically you plug it into your iPod and it it, it will uh, vibrate in sympathy with your whatever music you're listening to. And they took a survey. So um, on on the, on the site, which is lovehoney.co.uk, of what tunes might be best to activate your music-activated sex toy. The questions were: Do you listen to music during sex? What is the best music for passion? And who is the raunchiest song? Which song best describes your sex life and as you can imagine there's all sorts of amusing uh, amusing titles in there but um as a result of posting this news item on sonic i actually got sent two of them and um, one of which um i sent out to to mark who um perhaps could describe it in in terms we can broadcast well first, first of all i want to say it was all my idea because <clears throat> about five years ago warren um Cucurulo, uh, made something called Rock Rod, which was basically a cast of his uh, um, genital, uh, ex- enormous genitals, basically, um, uh, which he started selling. And around that time, I thought it would be a really cool thing to make a vibrator that worked in uh, conjunction with a Walkman. I guess it was a little pre-iPod, or they'd only just come out, maybe. So I did actually have this idea years ago, and I've never done anything about it, and I kind of wish I had now, because I think the way that this is marketed is utterly brilliant. So I have plugged it into the iPod and sort of switched it on, and and, and the concept of it's pretty cool. I mean, it does do what it says on the box. So I mean, I just it's not really designed for male solo use, as far as I can ascertain. <laughs> right. I think it, I think it's designed mainly for 
female solo use or for female solo use and you know with male accompaniment yeah well this was i mean i suppose this comes under the sort of christmas something for the christmas stocking only 35 quid if that's the sort of thing that you kind of might enjoy then you might enjoy the ibuzz my missus has just walked in the room to give me a cup of coffee and seen this web page up on the uh, computer (laughs) (laughs) and i've kind of frantically gesticulated that we're talking about it and she's just sort of looked at me and gone christmas present with big eyes (laughs) <laughs> oh really well actually dave i've got one in the office that's unopened if you'd like me to send it to you ah uh, superb we'll, we'll pick it up tomorrow oh of course well of course we've got the christmas party tomorrow so you can pick that one up but um, obviously i was thinking beach boys good vibrations is obviously a, you know a must-have that's got to be in the list of songs to play on it anybody else any, got any other songs we could uh, we could play on our ibuzz oh, i've got it i've got one i've got one the vibrators Automatic lover. Automatic lover. Oh, How about that? <laughs> uh, no, non Eric. Hmm. I can get no satisfaction. Would be a bad one. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe that'd be a good one because it would be sort yeah, of. Yeah, uh... maybe it rocks. Yeah, it's got a great riff. You know. This is definitely being my top five most important keyboards of all time. Single most influential keyboard ever designed. Obviously, after the piano. Great for bass lines and leads and that sort of thing. It's, it's a pretty cool synth. The top 20 greatest synths of all time. Coming soon from Sonic State. Okay, that's our top 20 synths uh, trailer. Uh, please feel free to go and vote for your top three synths. Um, the URL is sonicstate.com forward slash top 20. That's top and the numbers two zero. So just go there and do your vote. Um, well, our next story, um, we've, uh, we talked about the Wii a couple of weeks ago because um, I, I was kind of quite taken by the idea of, of being able to wave your arms around to play a computer game. And uh, it seems like a lot of other people are. But um, there's a cautionary tale to this story because um, what's actually happened is Nintendo have released a, a new press release and some guidelines to use, which means you must have dry palms. Um, because what's been happening is people have been getting into these games and waving their arms about like madly and um, letting go and smashing sort of vases, TVs, windows and various other bits around the house and or hitting, you know, friends on the head. And it just sounds like such a sort of hilarious consequence, although I'm sure it must be very uncomfortable if you get whacked on the head by a, a Wii remote. But uh, so if you're if you are using a, a Wii this Christmas, you know, remember to always have dry palms. I think I think um, they recommend this. It says um Hold the remote securely and avoid excessive motion during gameplay. If your hands become moist, stop and dry your hands, the company has recommended. They also caution players to stay at least one one metre away from the TV and make sure people and objects were safely outside their range of motion. (laughs) Gina, my partner, said that she'd seen a picture of one smashed through the front of a television or something. Yeah, no, there's been... uh, There there have been an awful lot of them, actually. I'm just trying to find that. Oh, it's on the We Have a Problem. Dot com. Girl dislocates knee while playing with Wii, and some of the pictures are absolutely brilliant. And there's a fair few YouTube videos as well. Okay, kids, be, you be careful now if you get one of these for Christmas. Although I did go into a record shop the other day, and uh, I can't remember what I, I went to buy. I, in fact, I went to buy the new Gwen Stefani album, which I have to say is awful. Um, okay. She looks awful as well, doesn't she? And there were loads of mothers being turned away by sort of rather um, pleased-looking kind of... Um, teenage shop attendant saying sorry you'll never get one now for christmas you know <laughs> and they were all after the wii uh, did you guys see the wii mode music controller not lead 
the Wii Remote hacks to to control like uh, the Nord lead with the Wii Remote, and there's another guy who did a a software a drum machine being controlled by the Wii Remote. Oh, brilliant! Well, we knew it was going to happen, and I'm really glad that this is this is taken off, and also that they. Nintendo have kind of somehow there's a way to get source or to, you know, some of the specification for the stuff it outputs is being access, is accessible. There's, a, there's this uh, website called wehacks.blogspot.com and they've got a, lot, a whole bunch of links to, to crazy mods. So there seems to be something going on there. They, by the way, they sold 250,000 Wii's in Germany in two days. In Bloody two days? Hell. Wow. Wow. That's mad, isn't it? That yeah. is a lot, isn't it? I mean, brilliantly pitched because it appeal it probably appeals to kids as well because it's quite a laugh, but I mean it must appeal to parents who feel it's sort of more okay to buy that than perhaps something that's more sedentary. I'm just looking at this site at the moment and it says that in the US they expect to have shifted one and a half million Wii's by December the twenty fifth. Wow. <laughs> Coming close to Christmas, um, we thought we'd ask for a few Christmas gift suggestions uh, and um, see what what everybody came up with. Mark, you're, I know you're keen to chip in. Very keen. I want somebody um, to buy me a Confederate Hellcat F131 motorcycle. Wow, what's that? Is that some kind of super fast... If you go to uh, www.confederate.com yeah. and go and click on the machines... <clears throat> They, there's three bikes there. They only make the Hellcat at the moment, I think, but the other two are sort of future proje- projects. You want one of those? It's, a, it's an American V-twin motorcycle, which is sort of a chunk of a car engine in a really bizarre-looking frame. But it's a really, really, really cool American motorcycle that makes the Harley look like a moped. I mean, it's and, and the, everything about it is so innovative and just they look so cool so that's right all, up your street all carbon fiber and wow wide loud and fast yeah right up my street okay well anybody else i can't compete with all this motor- motorcycle talk i'm afraid i wouldn't mind a really expensive my camp actually really that's one thing i'd really wouldn't, wouldn't mind a very high quality my camp. something i couldn't possibly afford if i was asking for if it was a wish list okay hands yes what do you want Oh, Just pretend I'm Santa for a moment. A, a Sinclair? The Sinclair on eBay? Yes. How my, much is my, that going for? Oh, about $5,000. Really? That seems very reasonable. You don't yeah, need the whole thing, you know. You don't. You you can buy the OSX software from Sinclair.com and you just need the voice cards out of the Sinclair. Oh, I, I wanted I wanted for the look and feel, you know. I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you'll you'll end up with it in a, a flight case underneath somewhere, and you'll underneath just the NPC. Every, yeah, and pull it out every so often and go. Oh, it's re- you know really very big. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. What would I like for Christmas? I'd actually quite like um, I'd quite like a video iPod as well. So uh, any benefactors out there deciding they want to uh, try and bribe me to mention their products, then if you send me a video iPod and um, and I might do it. um okay well uh, i think we must be nearly there is anybody going to be around for next week because i think next week will be the last one before christmas and we'll have a couple of weeks off but uh thank you very much uh dave spears thank you and john musgrave thanks to you also cheers cheers and mark tinley thank you to you can i do my line six demo now ah okay very quickly away with it goodbye Oh, that's better.
Okay, thank you very much, Mark. And uh, non-Eric, thank you to you also. Yes, and uh, if any of your German listeners wants to drop by, come to www.musotalk.de. That was a that was a plug. That's a good <laughs> plug. Okay, that's it for another week. All that remains for me to do is, uh, to, as usual, give give out this, the contact details. And uh, remember, we've set up a Skype account called Sonic Talk. You can contact us there. We've got an answer phone on that. And we've also got a couple of Skype in numbers, uh, one in the US and one in the UK. The UK number is 0207... 870-8616 that's if you're in the UK if you're outside the UK dial plus 44 207-870-8616 if you're in the US you can call us on 312-376-8089 or if you're outside the US um, but it's closer for you 001-312-376-8089 uh, be great to hear from you looking forward to getting some more comments ok that's it thanks Sonic Statesman.com.